preached word this morning will come from Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. So if you'd turn with me there, and if you need a Bible, there's some in the back. Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. This is God's word. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth, and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. You know, Christmas is an emotional, it's an emotional holiday. It's, it's kind of hard, almost near impossible to go throughout uh, this holiday season, the weeks we find between Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas, emotionless. The emotions vary. There are There are happy ones for some of you. Uh, Christmas brings fond memories, fond memories of a a wonderful, wonderful childhood. You remember family and friends and and, and gifts, and you you love the cards and the carols and the singing, and, and you just, you wish Christmas could just be every day. I mean, you're all in with Christmas. But for others... Christmas doesn't bring such, such great emotions. You actually, you actually kind of dread this, this time of year. Christmas season only reminds you that, that you are perhaps lonely or missing, or missing a loved one. For some of you, this time of year just fills you with a, a lot of anxiety or, or a sense of failure because you don't think this Christmas you'll be able to give your family the Christmas morning that they are looking for or expecting. For many people, Christmas, rather than bringing fond memories of childhood, brings memories of how difficult your, your adolescent years were. Some of you are, are quite indifferent to Christmas. You, you, you don't care for it, and, 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 but there are still emotions there. You get angry with all the, 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 the um, traffic that you see at the grocery stores and on Camp Creek. You can't get down Camp Creek, and so you get annoyed and you get frustrated. Whatever the emotions are around this type of year, around this time of year, you can't get away from them. Good ones, bad ones. They tend to be heightened and and magnified more than any other time during the year. I am convinced that this is why Christmas time 
is saturated with singing. Emotional people sing. <laughs> whether, whether it is to, 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 to drown out their sorrows, whether it is to, to find comfort or to express joy and thanksgiving, singing music or, or singing or, or listening to music is the medicine that, that most people tend to seek out. For, for the Christian, this type of, of singing marks out our worship. We, we sing songs of lament and we, we sing songs of praise and, and joy and thanksgiving. And we understand that the songs that we sing point us, help point us, and help direct us to our Savior. In him, we are able to, in these songs that we sing, we are able to express our, our emotions, our, our joy, our, our pain, our, our frustrations, our, our rejoicing. That is what we do Sunday after Sunday as we gather corporately to worship. But, but this time of year, as I said, is, 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 a, is a heightened emotional time. And, and so it is around Christmas that we, I feel like we sing the most. And I am convinced the hymns that we sing at Christmas, if contemplated and reflected on, help point us to our Savior, the one who desires us to come with, with all of our emotions good ones and bad ones, and find our joy and our rest and our peace in him. The incarnation brought unspeakable joy and hope for the hopeless. That is why, why at Christmas we celebrate it and we sing about it. This, this morning we want to look at the joyous truth found in the song that we just sung. Hark, the herald angels sing. You know, it's so easy to get distracted during this time of season and forget that we, what we're actually celebrating at Christmas, we're we're actually celebrating the birth of Jesus. that's That's what the hoopla is all about. That's that's what the joy and the singing should be about. And the hymn writer uses this this point in history, Jesus being born as a baby, to open up his sing. And he makes his song and makes it the, the, the common refrain throughout the song. Hark the herald angel sing glory to the newborn king. That is the joy of this of this song. It is the good news. Glory to the newborn king. The angels are, are singing and they are rejoicing. And I could imagine Charles Wesley, who, who wrote this hymn, who penned these words, and, 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 and George Whitfield, who, who later revised the words, they, as they were thinking about this song and about, the, and about how they were going to express this, had in mind... Luke 2, 13 through 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels rejoiced. They celebrated because 
a king was born. Not just any king, but this was the birth of the king of kings. Have you, have you thought about that phrase that we, that we sing in the song for a moment? Glory to the newborn king. Think about that for a moment. It's, it's quite odd because kings aren't born. Princes are born, not kings. Our most popular modern-day monarchs are our friends from across the pond, Queen, Queen Elizabeth and, and her family. And, and just this past week, her grandson was in, in town in, in the States, Prince, Prince William. Now, when Prince William was set to be born, there was much fanfare. There, there was a lot of fanfare because here was um, a prince being born to a prince. And, and the celebration wasn't that a king was being born, but that a prince was being born who perhaps one day would be king. Jesus came into the world as king. He wasn't going to become king one day. He was born king. Jesus was the king whom the world waited for. You remember back in 1 Samuel, we, we, we actually went through this when we were talking about the, the life of David. The people of Israel looked at all of the other nations and they saw these nations who had kings and they wanted a king for themselves. They wanted to be like all the other nations. They wanted a king who would, who would fight for them, who would, who would care for them and protect them. What they didn't know and what they didn't realize and what they took for granted was that God was their king. He was their king, but, but they insisted on having a king like the other nations. Despite Samuel's prophetic warnings that this would go bad, they still wanted a king. And so God gave them a king, and he gave them King Saul. But Saul... Saul was not the king the people had hoped for him to be. He was doomed from the start. And the reason he was doomed from the start was because he was the people's king. He wasn't God's king. And so God raised up a good king. He raised up King David, whom, whom God had anointed, who was a man after the heart of God, it would be through King David that God would establish his throne forever. But although David was a good king and he was God's king, there was a king who was greater than David, who already sat on the throne and who was to come. David knew this to be the case. You read the Psalms that, 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 that David penned in the, in the book of Psalms and you know that David understood that he wasn't the king of kings. It was a king greater than him. A king who would be born, not crowned. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah tells us this in 9 and 6. Nate read it for us this morning. For to us a child is born, 
to us a son is given. Listen to the language here in this text. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. Here, Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Here was the king that Israel wanted. Here was the king that Israel needed. But not only Israel, that all people needed. This king, and he was born in Bethlehem. Not in a not in a palace, not to a show, but in a stable. Jesus, born in Bethlehem, was the king you and I needed. Oh, I know we live, we live in a democracy. And we, we like our Freedom and our independence. We want to be able to do what we want to do and live how we want to live. We want few laws and few regulations. Ask any teenager sitting here today. In fact, you could actually look into your past because we were all teenagers once and recall being in our parents' home. And there were rules and regulations that guided our parents' homes. And when we didn't like those rules and regulations, what did we say? I can't wait till I'm on my own when I can do what I want to do. That's what we we all said. That's what teenagers say. But then when they get out into the real world, as you and I got out into the real world, and the world punches us in the mouth, we realize, oh, it wasn't so bad at my parents' house. I wish I could go back. Some of you went back. Do you realize, do you realize that this is a product of sin? That is the result of the fall. You and I were actually created to love authority. To, to pursue rules and order. We, we were created to thrive under leadership and structure, but sin caused us to buck at kingly authority. We hear king and we hear freedom gone. Even the queen of England today has very little power. Why? Because we don't want to be ruled. And every day we show how much sin has affected our creative design for kingly authority. We buck the authority of the king. And here's the crazy part. This is not just any king's authority that we buck, but we we buck a gracious and a loving king who is generous and and abounding in in steadfast love and mercy. And he sets up rules and and guidelines for our benefit, but, but we don't believe it. He's established rules and commands for his kingdom, and we treat them as though they are suggestions. Don't neglect meeting together. Husbands, love and serve your wives. Wives, submit and honor your 
husband. And we look at those things and we say, well, those things don't work. I want to do it my way. We are given instructions on who we are to be pursuing as a mate. And we say, no, 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 no. I know what's best for me. Jesus, the king, tells us how we are to view our money in light of the kingdom. Don't store it up on this earth. Don't love it. Give to those who ask. But we say, oh, it's my money. I earned it. I want to do with it what I want to do with it. Bucking kingly authority. We're told to to bear with those who are weak. Bear with those who are weak, who are struggling, whose sin rubs up against your sin. To bear with them, but we grow impatient. And we're harsh with them, telling them to get it together. We buck the way the king desires his kingdom to work. Do you understand that when we disobey God, every time that we disobey God, not love your wife as you should, you covet other people's possessions, disobey your parents, get angry, get frustrated, worry, act out in anger, you seek to dethrone Christ, the king. You want to be, to be king and do what you want to do. And we become like the, like the people in Judges who sought to do what was right in their own eyes. And we saw how that turned out. And when we do things in our own eyes, it becomes, it becomes crystal clear that we need a king. Oh, we see how... How going against and rebelling against this kingly authority of Christ has affected our society. We have broken marriages. We've got the rampant taking of lives through the horrible practice of abortion. We see situations like like Ferguson and, and Staten Island and Cleveland. We see loneliness and, and greed, crime. Do you understand that this all points to our need for a king? But there's a, there's a spiritual need also. This rebellion against the king makes us enemies of God. We're, we're his enemies. And listen, that's not a good place to be. We understand what happens in our world to those who disregard the authority of the king. Well, it's no different in the kingdom of God. In fact, it is far worse. This king knows all and sees all. Listen, you can, you can buck against the authority and usurp authority of earthly kings and, and presidents and rulers all you want. But most people do that in the privacy of their homes. They do it in the presence of like-minded company, if, if they're smart, right? They, they don't have the courage to do it in front of the, the king. But King Jesus knows all and sees all. What you whisper in your heart, 
what you think in your mind, what you thought you were doing in secret is never out of the watchful or listening eye of this king. Proverbs 15 and 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. We're we're in rebellion against this good and this gracious king. We are at enmity with him. And here is the perplexing part about it all. Here is the, here is the thing that's, that, that's so crazy is that the, the king was now here among us. Now, now, if this is the news, if we know that we have rebelled against this king and he is coming to earth, if he is coming to us, why then are the angels rejoicing and singing? Are they singing because they're, they're like, here comes the king. He's going to go get them. He, he's going to defeat them. They are joyous about this news. There is singing and celebration because as the hymn writer communicates, the king was coming to make things right, to fix the problem. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. This newborn king was born to restore that which was marred by sin and your rebellion. The king was coming to bring rebellious sinners into his kingdom. That is why the king could not be like any who had come before. We see then the humility of this king. Israel throughout her history has had some great and godly leaders. Men to lead her like Moses and Joshua and and David and and Hezekiah, men of faith and character and, and courage and integrity. But no matter how much good they did, No matter how much justice they sought to carry out, they could not solve that which was most crucial. They could not reconcile guilty sinners to a holy God. Oh, do you know that's still our greatest ill today? That's what plagues our society most. That is the biggest issue our world faces, whether we know it or not. There is poverty in this world. People who live in conditions far worse than most of our pets. Our our nation and and world is marred with racism and, and classism. Children, who as we sit here anticipating our Sunday meal, are starving, wondering if if food will even touch their lips again. Brothers and sisters, these are significant issues that our world deals with. Issues that we as Christians, we as a church should be seeking to rid the world of, giving attention to money and and resources to. The greatest problem this world faces 
and will continue to face until Jesus comes again is how you and I as sinners can stand in the presence of the holy God of the universe. No earthly king in all of history could solve that problem. The ones we read about in the, in the, in the word all fell short, short. David fell short. Hezekiah fell short. Joshua fell short. Moses fell short. Because none of them, none of them could live up to the standard required for entrance into this king's kingdom. So the king had to come himself. He came down. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. <laughs> Jesus the king, born in Bethlehem, was like no other king this world had ever known, for this king was the son of God. Jesus. Mary was told who Jesus was. When the angel came to her and told her that she would be with child in, in, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 32, he says that he, speaking of Jesus, will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The disciples confessed who Jesus was on the boat in Matthew 14 as they were out on the sea and the winds and the storms were, were raging and they were frightened by the storm. And Jesus comes and he calms the wind and the waves with one word. And the disciples in sheer amazement exclaimed, truly, you are the son of God. Jesus demonstrates this as he is going about healing, forgiving sins. He showed that his power and his authority were not of this world. He confounded the people with his knowledge and his wisdom. Jesus was no ordinary man and therefore no ordinary king baby born in in Bethlehem, the one that we read about in the scriptures, was God himself. God in flesh. Now how? How How could the God of the universe clothe himself in flesh? How could he, deity, be hungry and tired? Deity is not flesh, and flesh is not deity. How could Jesus be both God and man? Well, that's a great question. It's a hard question to answer. It's hard to wrap our finite minds around, but there are two things that I do know. I know that the Bible teaches it. Jesus was both God and man, and I know that he needed to be both God and man. Philippians 2, 5, and 8 teaches us that he was both God and man. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's, a, there's been a popular show. I've not seen it a lot. I've seen it once or twice. But it's called Undercover Boss. 
Undercover Boss is uh, is a reality show like all the other reality shows that are out there, but it's unique in that the owner of a company disguises himself and works among his employees. And, and he, 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 he humbles himself and, and does the jobs that they do so that he can get a feel for, for what they do and what they experience. And, and at the end of it, he usually rewards the, 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 the best employee with a check of some sort. But this is a, a show that people love, that people resonate with. They, at the end of the show, they're, they're, they're left in tears. And you say, why is that the case? Why is this, why is this so, why does this resonate so much with people? Brothers and sisters, do you understand that that is a, that is a picture of the incarnation of Jesus Christ? The king, the king humbled himself and came down among his subjects. That is amazing. That is what makes the incarnation so amazing. Jesus, the king, is Emmanuel, God, deity with us. He put on flesh and made himself like us. Not only does the Bible teach that Jesus was a man and dwelling among us, it teaches us that he needed to be. He needed to be. Hebrews 7, 26 through 27. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like the high priest to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law points to men in their weaknesses, high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. King Jesus had to be God because only God could accomplish what his kingdom required. We needed a perfect, uh, sinless substitute to stand in our place, to to bear the, the, the wrath of God against those who rebelled against him. In order for sinners to be reconciled to a holy God, Not only would the king need to come and dwell among us and and live the the life that we could not live, he would need to die for us, taking the punishment for our sins. Oh, it's glorious. It's glorious. The king, Emmanuel, Jesus, came and dwelt among us. Oh, and then we see the grace, the grace of the king, the grace of this king. You know, the picture that we have of kings, we usually get from like movies and cartoons and such. Or as we said earlier, what we observe from our friends across the pond. That picture is often, when we see the king, they're, they're surrounded by, by servants by those that cater to them hands and foot. People jump at their every request 
And they're, they're certainly not known, usually known for giving gifts. They're usually the recipients of gifts because people want to honor them and they, they want to be in their good graces. The king, King Jesus, born in Bethlehem, did not come to be served. But as he says in Matthew 10, 45, he came to serve. Jesus came. King Jesus came bearing gifts. Gifts. Yes, the birth of Jesus, he himself was a gift for us. That he, the king of the universe, would, would seek to dwell among his people, those he created. But Jesus came bearing gifts, not gifts that would last for a little while, toys that would, would one day break, or, or technology two weeks from now that would be obsolete. No, but he, he brought gifts that last for eternity. Eternal, eternal gifts. Isaiah said that he would be the prince of peace. He would be the prince of peace. But you say, well, well where is that peace? Where is that peace? There, is, there, there, there seems to be turmoil all around the world. There, there is ISIS. There are protests that, that so quickly on a, on, a, on a turn of a dime can, can, can turn violent. I go to bed at night. I can't go to bed at night without locking my doors and turning on the alarms. Where is the peace in this world? The Prince of Peace is here. It's come. Why is there still no peace? That type of peace is coming. But the peace the king brings is peace with God himself. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Peace with God. For those who would submit to this king, the enmity, the hostility that was between God and man, gone. The rebellion, gone. There is now peace. Imagine that. You were once barred from the palace. You, you couldn't come into the, into the king's kingdom. You didn't have the right clothes on. And not only did you not know the king, you boldly, boldly disrespected him and were deserving of his wrath. But the king came down. He came down. And now, those who trust in this king, in his finished work, you get new clothes. The, the king says, come into my kingdom. Come, come, here's a seat for you at my table. I, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go and prepare a meal for you. And I'm, I'm going to set it before you. And you can dine and eat to all you want. And I'm going to eat with you. Oh, that is the gift that Jesus Christ gives to, to men and women who repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus. King Jesus came down to reconcile sinners 
to a holy God. That is the, that is the gift the king gave you. It wasn't a gift that you earned. He gave it to you. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. King Jesus came not only to make sinners right with God. He came to give us life. Life, life eternal. That's a gift. Life eternal. Jesus says in John chapter 10 that that he has come so that we might have life and have it abundantly. All those, all those who are in Christ receive this gift. Abundant life. Not the, not the promise of material wealth. Not the promise that, all of your, all, that you won't be uh, sick or anything like that. But the promise of eternity spent with the king. That is abundant life. King. King, you do understand, was born to take his children home. To bring them home. John 14, 2 through 3. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The king came and prepared a room for you in his palace. That is amazing. That is a glorious truth. I mean, are you tempted, are you tempted this, this holiday season, this Christmas season to, to be sorrowful? to be overtaken with you, your emotions? Are you, are you tempted to be caught up with the, with the trappings and that, that you might, that you miss Jesus? Would you stop and contemplate for a moment this, this song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing? That you would think about what the angels are singing about and stop and be reminded that the king has come bearing eternal gifts that you and I don't deserve. Oh, brothers and sisters, we should honor him. Honor him with obedience. Honor him with praise and thanksgiving. The king was born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. If you would believe that, you would outsing the angels. East Point Church sings, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. You received a gift that you don't deserve. The king came down. Reconciling sinners to a holy God. Place your trust in him and join with the angels and sing. Glory, glory, praise and honor to the newborn king. Father, indeed, Jesus is the king. King of kings and Lord of lords. He is to be adored, worshipped, praised, honored. 